Well, let's pray together. I want to ask God to meet us um, in his word. Here we go. Okay, let's pray. Thank you for these things that have been shared, Father, and for the ways you're working in this body. And I pray that you'd work now uh, through your word, unleash its power, we ask. I pray that you would strengthen us in trusting you and encourage us with who you are. And I pray that you would transform our understanding of obedience kind of obedience you want. I pray that we would see new truths from your word today. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good. So I've noticed something. I want to start off by telling you something that I've I've observed, uh, especially in the last couple of years. And it's that most all Christians know from God's word uh, what commands God wants us to obey, what God wants us to do, what what God wants our obedience to look like. Most all Christians know what God wants us to do. But what I've noticed is that many Christians have not seen in God's word what what God's word says about how we're supposed to obey. Many, many Christians just haven't seen that in terms of how. We, We know the what, what we're supposed to do, but many Christians have not seen in God's word as clearly as the what, the how how we're supposed to do it. Let me give you an example. I would guess we all know that God calls us to to meditate on his word regularly, to read the scriptures. That's a what. We all, we all know the what, right? Okay, we, we all, all got that one down. But, but do we know how we're supposed to do that? Like when we're struggling, when you find that your heart is just not that interested, when it's been a couple of days without any time in the word, and you're frankly more interested in NCIS or in checking your stocks or, you know, whatever it might be. How then do you go about obeying when you're struggling and your heart's just not there? You might think, well, I could just get serious about it. Like, I'm just going to do this thing. Okay. Or you might say, well, I'm going to write down a goal. You know, writing down goals is good. I am going to meditate on God's word every day for 15 minutes. Stephen D. Fuller. Okay, maybe. Or you could ask some friends to hold you accountable. Hey, would you ask me every week if I'm reading God's word? Okay, maybe. And, and there's, there's maybe some benefit in those approaches. But there's a problem. Here's the problem. None of those are what God tells us in his word about how we're supposed to obey. None of them. Okay, now that you're shocked, let's ask the question, so how are we supposed to obey? And the answer is in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. Let's turn there. Hebrews 11, 8. How are we to obey? Now, if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We like to pass Bibles out. Most important words you're going to hear this morning are in the book. Okay. And I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11, which in the Bibles we're passing out is page 1007. 1007 in the Bibles we're passing out. Now, while you're turning there, let me give you the big picture of uh, kind of where the author has been taking us. Okay, we're into chapter 11, all right? So all the way back to chapter 1, from chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through to chapter 10, verse 18, amazing chapters, nine and a half chapters, 1, 1 through 10, 18. The author tells us about Jesus Christ. And he says, Jesus Christ is God's son, 
fully man, fully God. He is the image of the invisible God. He's the radiance of God's glory, he says in chapter 1, verse 4. The radiance of God's glory. The exact representation of his nature. And Jesus died on the cross. And in so doing, he broke death's power. And he conquered Satan who had the power of death. And he propitiated, he paid for all of our sins through dying on the cross. Not only did he die on the cross, he also has been tempted in all things as we are. So he sympathizes with us in our struggles. Don't you love that? He feels what you're feeling. He knows. He's been there. He sympathizes. And all of that means, chapter 1, 1 through chapter 10, verse 18. Did I get it right? 18, yes. Uh, that Jesus is the perfect priest with the perfect sacrifice for our sins. So that's those first nine and a half chapters. Then in chapter 10, verse 19 through 39, four big therefores. Here's the implications. Here's what that means. Number one, draw near to God through Jesus. Have you been doing that this week? Have you just known about God or have you been drawing near to the living God through Jesus Christ and known him and beheld him and loved him? So number one is draw near to God. Number two, Hold fast to God's promises. The river of the world is pulling us down to the destruction of going over the Niagara Falls. Remember that illustration? And we're holding on to God's promises, the rope of God's promises, here in the Word. And it's pulling us towards heaven, not, the, not Niagara Falls, okay? So hold fast to God's promises. Third command, encourage each other to hold fast to God's promises, lest people drift away. There's, there's the danger of drifting. Encourage each other. Don't neglect a gathering together. Then the fourth command is stir up your faith in Christ as your better possession, your lasting possession. Stir up that faith. Now he ends that section, verse 39, with the word faith, how crucial faith is, which is why in chapter 11 then, he wants to explain what faith is and what faith does. Okay, so in verses 1 and 2, faith assures us that God keeps his promises. Verse 3, faith believes in God as creator. That's what faith does. Verse 4, from Abel's life, faith believes in God as our supreme satisfaction, which is why Abel brought the best offering that he had. Verses 5 and 6, from Enoch, faith conquers death. By faith, Enoch was taken straight to heaven. That's not how we, we are conquering death, but faith does conquer death. And then verse 7, from Noah's life, faith brings the gift of perfect righteousness, And faith helps us resist the world. That's from Noah. And then this morning from Hebrews 11, verse 8, the author tells us that faith is how we obey. Faith is how we obey. Look at what he says in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. Can I understand what's going on here in this verse? Let's be clear on what God called Abraham to do. What exactly did he call him? And in verse 8 we just read, God called Abraham to go out to a place that he didn't know anything about. But to see all that that means, keep your finger here in in chapter 11 of Hebrews and go way back to the beginning to Genesis chapter 12, which is page 8. Eight in the Bibles we just passed out. So way back to the left, Genesis chapter 12. I want you to see all that this involved for Abraham. I want you to see how costly 
this would have been for Abraham to obey. Genesis chapter 12 is the passage in the Old Testament where this event actually takes place. So look at what he says in verse, what Moses tells us in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Okay, now we got a map here. There it is. So let me show you what this means. Ur the Chaldees is right down here, okay? And so Abraham traveled up through the Fertile Crescent to Haran and then down to the Promised Land here. And that's like five or six hundred miles we're talking. Five or six hundred miles, which you might think is a long ways today, like driving down to Southern California on I-5. Okay, but Abram did not drive down the I-5, okay? We're talking camels, you know, and, okay, the whole thing, all right? And I want you to think of how, how costly this would have been for Abraham. Imagine you're there, Ur the Chaldeans, and you're looking all around you. This is home. Got all your peeps there, okay? This is, okay, this is, this is your place. This is home. And God's calling you to go to a place you don't know where it is. You don't know what it's going to be like. You know nothing about it. So can you feel the costliness of this? Can you feel how this would have been costly for Abraham to obey? And the reason I want to mention that is that God calls all of us to obedience that's costly. Okay? Obeying Jesus Christ costs. It does. He calls us to love our enemies. Some of you have probably been struggling and dealing with that this last week. It's costly, isn't it? Some of you have been seeking to forgive everyone who's hurt you. It's great that Natasha shared that word about having bitterness in our hearts. Okay, we're called to forgive everyone who hurts us, and that's costly. We're called to battle sin in our lives, and that's, that's costly. We're called to make disciples, and that can be costly. So God calls us to obedience that's costly. And God called Abraham to obedience that was very costly. And Abraham obeyed. He was called to costly obedience. And he bore the cost. Packed everything up. Sarah, we're going. Okay? So the question is, how, Abraham? Such cost? Such difficulty? It had been so hard to do. How did he do it? So to answer that, keep your finger here in Genesis 12. Flip back to Hebrews 11 and read verse 8 again. Hebrews 11, verse 8. How did Abraham obey? First two words of verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Okay, how did Abraham obey? Two simple words, by faith. Very simple. But for many Christians, something terrible has happened to those two words. For many Christians, those words have just become a cliche. Those two words have, have lost any real substantial Meaning, for many Christian obeying by faith, well, I know God's called me to do this, and I, I'm supposed to obey God, so I'm going to obey. Is that obeying by faith? I hope after this morning you'll understand that that is not obeying by faith. Some crucial dimension missing there. Obeying by faith. So think about how important this is. Abraham obeyed by faith. 
which means he obeyed by means of faith. Think about what that, that language means. Let's say you're planning on traveling to San Francisco by bike. Okay, so what would that mean? That would mean the bike would be how you were going to get there. Okay, you wouldn't be walking. You'd be pedaling. Okay, if you're going to go to San Francisco by bike, the way you'd go would be by getting on the bike and starting to pedal. The bike is what you'd use in order to get to San Francisco. Let's try to unpack what that word by means. When you do something by means of of a bike. And Abraham obeyed by faith. He obeyed God by means of faith. And think about what that means. That means faith was how he obeyed. See that? Just like the bike is how you get to San Francisco, faith was how he obeyed. That is, the way he obeyed would be by means of having faith. Faith was what he would do in order to believe, in order to obey, by faith. Are you, are you getting this? Okay. Are you falling asleep? No, you're getting this, right? Okay. This is really crucial. So faith means something. It means something. If you were going to go to San Francisco by bike, you would get on a bike and start pedaling. If you're going to obey by faith, your first step and your continuing step would be to have faith. Faith is what you would do in order to obey. Do you see that? Faith is huge. The way you obey is by faith. Okay, so what does that mean then? What does it mean to obey by faith? What is faith? Remember what we saw back in chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the, the assurance. can have the meaning of substance also of things hoped for. Faith is the, the conviction. It can also mean evidence of things not seen. So faith looks to things hoped for that are not seen, and those things are what God has promised to us, right? So faith is looking to God's promises. It means trusting God's promises. It means resting in God's promises. It means relying on God's promises. That's what faith means. We like to use the the, the longer definition. Faith means trusting all that God promises to be to us in Jesus Christ. That's faith. Okay, so that's what faith is. And Abraham obeys by faith. Which would mean that since faith means trusting God's promises, that the way that Abraham obeyed was by means of trusting God's promises. That's how he obeyed. Do you see that? Isn't this awesome? This is so exciting. When I first saw this, listen, church, this changed my Christian life. Turned it upside down. I'll never forget when this happened. I was uh, going to UCSB, leading, involved in leading a college group at a church there. Drove down to Southern California to get my laundry done with my parents. And, and I, I went back and talked to my dad. My mom was wonderful. Anyway, I, I was talking to my dad. And I said, Dad, how do we get college kids more on fire for the Lord? How do we get them more committed, more obedient? I want to just like get up there and just say, come on, you guys, let's do this thing. And I was talking about this teaching I was going to do and really getting serious. And, and my dad is just such a wise teacher. Some of you have heard the story before. He said, why don't you look and see how Jesus and Paul and the New Testament writers motivated people? Why don't you check that out? I said, oh, okay. And it changed my life. This is what I saw. Okay. For Abraham to obey by faith means that he obeyed by trusting God's promises. 
Now to see how he did this, turn back to Genesis 12. Okay? I want you to see promises that God gives to Abraham, which would have profoundly motivated his obedience. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Notice not just the command, but notice the promises that God wants Abraham to believe in order to obey the command. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. There's the command, okay? But don't miss verses 2 and 3. And I will make of you a great nation. Promise. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Promise. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. Promise. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Promise. Four massive promises. So let's unpack them. Abraham, you leave your land, go to a place you don't even know about that I'm going to show you. I will make of you a great nation. You and Sarah are childless right now. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, so you're going to be a blessing. I will so lavish my blessings upon you, Abraham, that everywhere you go, you're going to bless, just overflow blessing upon everyone around you. If some don't bless you in return, I'm going to curse them. I will protect you, Abraham. And then the most important promise, as far as we're concerned, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is, this is mind-blowingly huge. Since Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sinned, everyone has turned against God, and God's curse covers the earth. This curse of punishment, this curse of eternal death covering the earth. Here in Genesis 12, 3, God says, through you, Abraham, if you leave this Land, Ur of the Chaldeans, trust me, go to the land you don't know about. I'm going to bring my blessing to people from every family of the earth. Every people, tongue, and tribe will receive the blessing of God. And we now know how God did that. It was through Abraham's great, 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 dot, 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 great, great grandson, Jesus Christ. Okay? So look at these promises. Abraham obeyed by faith, which means he did not just focus on verse 1. He focused on verses 2 and 3. He trusted those promises. He didn't just say, verse 1, I'm supposed to do this, let's do it. He obeyed by faith. Faith was what he did in order to obey. His first step would have been to trust God's promises. That's what he did. This wouldn't have been easy for Abraham. Just like it's not easy for us to trust God's promises. Think of Abraham there, Ur the Chaldeans. Everything he can see is his home, his people, his country. He can see all of this. He can't see where God's taking him. He's got to trust God. That's not easy to do. We trust God for unseen things. Promises are promises because we're not seeing them yet. Right? Got to trust God for the unseen. That's one reason it's hard. A second reason it's hard, what Ian was sharing this morning, is there's indwelling sin in all of us. We've been saved since power's been broken, but it's not been removed. And there's something in my heart, there's something in your heart that doesn't want to trust God. It's just, it's just dark and ugly. That's just what sin is, okay? So it would have been hard for Abraham to trust God's promises. So what Abraham probably did, doesn't say this in the text, but taking other passages, he would have said, Father, these are amazing promises. I'm struggling to trust them. 
Help me to trust them now. Forgive me for my unbelief. Increase the power of your Holy Spirit upon me. Strengthen my faith. I believe, help my unbelief. Mark 9, 24. And then he would have known that faith comes from hearing and hearing from God's word. So then he would have prayed over and pondered verses 2 and 3. Father, you say you're going to make of me a great nation. Help me to trust you for that. You are God. You are faithful. You are going to make of me a great nation. I trust you. Help me to trust you more. And as Abraham prayed that, he would just know, God is going to make me Sarah. Sarah, God's going to make us a great nation. Feel that? He's going to do it if we go. And Sarah, not only that, but he's going to so lavish his blessings upon us that we will be a blessing everywhere we go, just blessing flowing from us. And Sarah, not only that, he's promised he will protect us from anyone who would harm us. And then Sarah, this is amazing, get this. We know that the curse of sin is covering the earth. God promises that if we will go to this land, through us, he will bring God's blessing upon every people, nation, tongue, and tribe. Sarah, pack the camels. We're going. That's what would have happened. So he obeyed by faith, by trusting God's promises. Not just I'm supposed to, not just this is what God's telling me to do, but God promises that if we go, he will do this. Help me to trust your promises. You're you're answering that. Thank you. Yes, I'm seeing it. We are going. See how that would have worked? Abraham obeyed by trusting God's promises. But what is just so puzzling to me is that many, many Christians try to obey without trusting God's promises. We just try to obey. We know we're supposed to. We know this is right. And so we just try to grit our teeth and obey. Here's an example. How many of you know the command, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men? How many know that command? Okay. Most everybody probably does. Okay, we all, And how many of you have tried to do that? Do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Okay, good. Now, how many of you know the promise that Paul gives in that passage to motivate us to do that command? Okay, a few of you do. Many of you don't. It's a puzzling thing. So let's take a look at Colossians 3, 23 and 24 to see how God wants us to obey that command. I'm hoping that you, you will see this. This could change your Christian life if you haven't seen this yet. Oh, it's changed mine. It's up on the screen, actually. Colossians 3. Thank you, Andrew. So here's the verse. You can turn to it if you want to, but look at what Paul says. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. There's the command. Okay, that's what we're supposed to do. Very important that we do that. It's a command. But notice the next part of the verse. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the, re- the inheritance as your reward. So what's the command? Whatever you do, do your work heartily. What's the promise? There's something that we're supposed to know which will enable us to do this. Something we're supposed to trust which will motivate us to do this. Do you see that? Paul doesn't want anyone just to be doing verse 23. He wants you to do verse 23 knowing something. There's a, a promise that's in your mind that you're trusting, which will motivate you to do this. Do you see that? It's so clear, isn't it? It's right there. Obey knowing something. And here's the promise. From the Lord, you'll receive the inheritance as a reward. Now, let's let's just unpack that a little bit before we, we put it all together. Two 
crucial truths about God rewarding us. One is the inheritance is God himself. We're not talking about health and wealth and some kind of an earthly thing here. We're talking about God is our portion, like I was reading in Psalm 119 this last week. God is the prize, beholding him, loving him, knowing him. He is the infinite value of the universe, and God gives you the most precious gift he could give to you, himself, knowing him in Christ. So he's the prize. He's the inheritance we get, God himself. That's the first explanation of verse 24. But then the second crucial truth is that this reward is not something that our hearty work earns or deserves. It does not. If God gave us what we deserved, we would all be facing hell forever. Me and you. So crucial to understand. So how does God reward us? It's because Jesus died on the cross and paid for our sins. He was punished in our place. And so God promises, I will mercifully reward your undeserving, hearty work. I will mercifully, it's pure mercy, reward your undeserving, hearty work by giving you the reward of the inheritance, namely myself. Okay? So the inheritance is is what? Who? It's God. And it's not earned or deserved. It's mercifully given to us for our undeserving, hearty work. So here's the point. God doesn't just want us to work heartily. God wants us to work heartily, knowing, trusting that God will mercifully reward this undeserving work with more of himself. Okay, now let's just let's try to get real concrete here. What is something that we don't, want to, don't like to do heartily, or we don't like to do it, so we have a hard time doing it heartily, like taking out the trash? Okay, I guess most of you do not like to take out the trash. All right, now, what would happen? Think about this. I mean, just honestly, here's, here's what Paul envisions, okay? What would happen if you believed, if you trusted that God is worth everything? God is the infinite prize of the universe, and that taking out the trash with my heart set on him, he will reward with more of himself forever. Where's the trash? Right? See how that would work? Do you see how that would work? So why, church, is it that we go for verse 23 and we're just blind to verse 24? Why was I living that way for so long? And why have some of you been living that way for so long? No more! Liberation is here! Promises of God motivating obedience! Total paradigm shift. Okay, but now, maybe you're not feeling that about the taking out the trash thing. I heard what he said Sunday morning, but it's trash and the giants are on, you know, or whatever it might be. Not that, I mean, you could take it out during the commercial break, but anyway, let's just, okay, so there you are. So what do we do when we don't feel like doing something we know God's called us to do? That's where the rubber meets the road. What do we do? We obey how? By what? By faith. Because at that moment, I'm not trusting either that God is worth everything or, and or, that if I do what he wants me to do heartily with my heart set on him, he will reward it with more of himself. I'm not trusting one or both of those at that point in time. So the first step is, Father, forgive me for my unbelief. I'm not seeing, feeling, trusting you as worth everything to me. 
or I'm not trusting that if I obey you with my heart set upon you and take out the trash that, that I'm going to have more of you forever. So forgive me for that through Christ and strengthen my faith now and, and help me. And then, and then you just ponder verse 24. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. So God will bring the reward of his inheritance. He promises to do that. And then when you believe once again, God, you are worth everything and taking out the trash with my heart set upon you. So Paul says, I'm going to be receiving more of you. And so you, you take out the trash. Okay, now quiz time. Let's say someone doesn't want to take out the trash. We're back to the trash question, but he knows he's supposed to. I'm supposed to, God wants me to. And so he does. Is that obeying by faith? I didn't hear anything in there, and I intentionally didn't say anything in there about trusting God's promise. So unless that was going on, he was not obeying by faith. Ponder this, okay? Or let's say someone doesn't want to take out the trash, but he knows, oh, that's right, my DNA guys. They're going to be asking me if I served my wife this week, and I mentioned this whole trash issue. They're going to be asking me about it, so okay, I better take it out because they'll ask me about it. I can say, yes, I did. Okay, we're good. Was that obeying by faith? No, it was not. I didn't hear anything about, God, you will mercifully reward my undeserving, hearty work with more of your presence. I want you more than anything. Where's the trash? I was hearing nothing about that. Do you see what a huge difference this is? Okay. Now let me give you two more examples of scriptures. We might have time for a couple questions. I'm hoping some of you will help us dig this deeper by asking some questions. Look at Galatians 6, 9. This is up on the screen. Just another example. I'm hoping that after this morning, you'll have eyes to see not just the commands, but you'll also be looking for the promises, looking for the promises. So we want to see the commands, very important, but we also want to see the promises. Let us not grow weary of doing good. There's the commands. Okay, don't get tired of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So the command is don't get tired of doing good. What's the promise? In due time, you will reap if you don't give up. And reaping is eternal life in the previous verses, same as receiving more of the inheritance of God. So God doesn't just want us, okay, I shouldn't get tired of doing good. God wants us, I shouldn't get tired of doing good because I'm knowing, I'm trusting in due time, reaping will come if I don't give up. Command, promise. How do we obey? By faith. We pray over the promise, in due season we will reap if we do not give up, until the Holy Spirit stirs our hearts so we know that that's true, and I'm going to keep doing good. I'm not going to get tired, because the reaping is coming. See how that works? One more example from Jesus' teaching, Luke 14, 13 through 14. This is how Jesus motivated us. Very powerful passage. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Well, what's the blessing going to be? Okay. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So do you see what Jesus is doing here? He wants us to be inviting people into our homes. Invite them in, invite them in, especially those who can't do anything back in return. Just invite them into our homes. Why? They're not going to really do anything for me. Where's the blessing? You will be mercifully repaid for your unworthy inviting of them in at the resurrection of the just. You will have more of God forever because of what you've done in this life here. 
See how that works? And when you understand that, and you trust that promise, and when you're inviting them over and you're having in your mind, the resurrection is going to be glorious. Resurrection is going to be glorious. Now, there's other motivations too. We love them. We care about them. There's a whole mix of motivations, but don't miss this one. That should be in our minds as we're obeying, and that will motivate us to do it. Abraham obeyed by faith. Okay, now what are some questions this raises in your mind? And so it's not that the Christian life, I mean, the, way that my, the way that trust and obey works is that trust and then as a result we will obey. And that's why that chorus is so powerful. Okay? Jed. I'm, I'm right with you. Is there anybody here who does everything we do, consciously trusting God's promises? Let's just, let's just get that cleared up first. Okay, so we are all with Jed here. And what I would say to Jed and to me and to all of us is we all need to do that more. Because we are, there's all kinds of things we do of routine and God is not in our thinking at all. And that's not right. Right? So we're with you. Me too. All of us. So I would encourage all of us work on knowing that God will reward you with his inheritance. Paul wants us to do our work heartily knowing that. And so I would encourage you to just dial it up in your mind more. Yes. And before, especially. And after is good too, okay? But do you see how, see, somehow we've, we've all been taught that doing things because you're supposed to is, is what we're supposed to do. Well, you did it, didn't you? It's dangerous. It's, it's, just, it's not Christianity. It's not Christianity. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Hebrews 11:6, Romans 14:23. whatever is not from faith is sin. And I'm right there. Okay, I do all kinds of things. Okay. Well, you just you pick up the trash. And here's what I, you just pick up the trash and say, praise God. Heaven's coming. And uh, I'm going to be there. Be, Jed and I are going to be there together. The trash takers outers, okay? And, and we're going to be worshiping Jesus. I mean, I, you know, so, I mean, but, I mean, drill deeper. What... I need to work on this too. And it's like, this is how God wants us to be obeying. I mean, listen, what glorifies God the most? Just, I'm supposed to take the trash out, okay? Take the trash, get it out, I'm done. Or, oh, Father, you know, I'm going to be beholding you forever. Which glorifies God most? Which is going to satisfy you the most? Okay? I mean, if you've been in a similar situation, but my counsel would be to, while you're working, Okay, because you're, you're you're working, you're just saying, Father, help me, help me, help me see you more clearly here, help me trust you more, pour out your Holy Spirit upon me, have your promise of reward be something that I can taste and sense right now and know it's going to be there. Um, give me grace, help me, and so you're just asking the Lord while you're while you're working, and He will meet you, He will help you. I mean, right, right. Yeah, okay, times when the God's promises just aren't stirring your heart. It's like you read them and it's just words. That happens to me often, and it happens to all of us often. That's why faith is called a fight of faith. And so what I, would, what I do, what I would encourage you to do is to, to confess, Lord, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trusting this promise right now. I'm not excited by this promise. It does nothing for me. My, I mean, I'm, I'm dull. Forgive me and help me through Jesus. I believe, help my unbelief, Mark 9, 24. Uh, pour out your spirit upon me. Stir my heart to trust you. And then I would pray over that promise and, and, and 
trust as I can and pray and trust as I can and pray. And in time, you will feel the Holy Spirit strengthening your faith and making that promise alive to you. God's never failed me in that. It can happen quickly. It can take a little longer, but he will always do that. And so that's, again, you're baking. You know, so you're going to keep baking. You're not going to say, need 15 minutes. You know, you got to keep baking. Say, Lord, help me while I'm baking here. Okay? Okay, we got to stop just for time's sake. But um, maybe some of the rest of you can share with Allie any other thoughts you've had about how to, how to do that. And let's stand. I want to pray this over us. Picture a rocket ship, big rocket ship. It's called obedience, okay? And there it is. And, and it's supposed to, to take off. And so you look up at it and you think, man, I don't know. And you get, get down and he's, oh, it's just, it's just like, oh, my back. But like, okay, so, and then, and then you, you, somebody says, there's fuel. There's fuel. The fuel is called faith, okay? Fire up the fuel of faith and the rocket ship will take off. So I'm hoping that from now on, you will understand that we obey by means of faith, that the most important thing we do to obey is to first trust God's promises so our hearts are changed. Rocket ship of obedience is taken off. Let's pray. I pray, Lord, that you would take this one simple verse and these really just a couple words, by faith Abraham obeyed, and that these words would just blossom with new life and new meaning and hope for us. I pray for some of us here who have felt hopeless about their obedience. They're, they're being defeated. They're, there's an area of sin that they can't break out of. And I pray that this would give them hope that you will help them. You will strengthen their faith. You will free them. I pray, Lord, that all of us would think of that area where we are struggling with the cost of obedience and that we would find your promises and pray over your promises and that you by your spirit would change our hearts. So I pray, Lord, that you would transform Mercy Hill Church's obedience today through Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.